got to set things up, eh? And good morning. Oh, this is a bit scary. I haven't done this for quite a while. Bear with me, please. Um, let's just pray, I think. Lord, Lord, I need you. This is a bit scary. But Father, Lord, I know the thoughts that you've given me and I pray, Lord, you would take what you've given me and give it to other people. Lord, share your heart with people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, when Bernie asked me to share, I went into a slight panic mode. <laughs> I had a million things going through my head and I'm writing down and I'm going, this is a mess, Lord. And he said, okay, calm down, calm the farm. What are you passionate about? <clears throat> I think I sang too hard. Sorry if I'm a bit croaky. Um, and I said, revival. And he went, well, talk about that. And I went, oh, okay. Yeah, that's easy. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> so my sermon this morning is on revival. <clears throat> and um, um, the definition of revival, there's lots of books being written about it. There's lots of people have their versions, their definitions. But... Basically, revival is God coming down into his people, the Holy Spirit outpouring upon us and refreshing us and reviving us. And it's an experience for Christians because we are revived. That means we've had life and it may have, you know, the flame has flickered down and down and it's become a little bit of a routine and it's become a bit of a... <clears throat> a tradition, excuse me, and the Holy Spirit wants to revive us, to refire us, and that's what happens in revival. And, and it's exciting because you see people suddenly coming back to God with passion and, and restores our first love, you know. Revival is an experience for the church, for his people. It's... Um, Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> Revival is for his people. We talk about awakenings. Awakenings is when revival starts in the church and then spreads out to the community. <clears throat> You'll hear awakenings. You can read about the awakenings in America and England in the past. Um, things were happening like um, pubs were closing down because everybody was going to church and they weren't making money anymore. The dance halls, which were the uh, perhaps movie theatres or the, the computer online sites of our day, the dance halls were closing down because people were going to church and they were dancing before the Lord rather than dancing to try and get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, in, in Wales, the pit ponies in the mines, the pit ponies stopped working essentially because the miners had stopped swearing at them and they'd only ever learnt how to work while the miners were swearing at them. You know, communities were being affected and changed because God was changing people. That's an awakening. That's, that's the power of God moving out and that's what I'd love to see. I'd love to see that. The um, Tasmania has a history of revivals. Who knows that? It's, it's really interesting. We kind of go, oh, well, we haven't seen what happened in England. We haven't seen what happened in America. Tasmania has had revivals. And I want to share a couple of them. The first one you'll see is the 
uh, Westbury Uniting Church. So now up along the northwest coast, back in the 1800s, the Methodist lay preachers were, they had amazing results. They saw revivals all along the northwest coast. And you'll see today big churches like this in what are now tiny little towns that were built to accommodate the revivals. Can you imagine 600 people in Westbury coming in from Deloraine, coming in from all the other little farms and things? They had to build a church this big, sorry, this big to seat what was happening. <coughs> and I'll read, you, um, I'll read you a bit of what was happening. I'll get my glasses on. So this was built in... 1865. Go back a few years. In 1859, I'll just read this. In the month of June last, the members of the Westbury Society, that's the um, Methodist Church, this is now a uniting church, but they were Methodists at the time. The members of the Westbury Society were much drawn out in earnest prayer to God for the outpouring of the Spirit upon the people of this neighbourhood. They had not rested long before the gracious influences of the Holy Ghost visited many hearts. Numbers were fully awakened to a sense of their appalling condition as sinners against God and were led to seek redemption through the blood of Christ. 56 souls have been saved in one month and 10 souls near Deloraine. No extraordinary measures had been adopted to bring about this desired result. Only one prayer has been added to those formerly existing. Prayer for the outpouring of the Spirit amongst their neighbours. How about that? And a letter that was written a year later reports that the greater part of those who were converted are still walking in the light of the Lord and their church numbers had risen from 72 full members to 117. So that's 50 55 people a year later were still walking. So it obviously grew and grew and grew because six years later they had built a building this big to seat 600. So what was going on up there was huge. That's revival. That's revival. And it's exciting. I want to see that. <clears throat> I've got another little bit to read. This is, this is perhaps more of a visitation. But who's been down to Port Arthur? I think probably most of us. Port Arthur was not a nice place when it was built, when it was a prison. But the Holy Spirit moved down there. And I'd never heard this before, and you won't hear the tourist guides telling you this either. <coughs> but in 1835, the Holy Spirit moved amongst the boy convicts. So there were children down at Port Arthur. And of 280 boys, over 40 were saved. These boys were of the most depraved and abandoned character, capable of all wickedness, and had come from the prison hulks on Thames River. So can you imagine boys being in those awful prison hulks and then being shipped out to Australia, down to Port Arthur, where the worst criminals were, the worst convicts? It's, I hate to think what those boys went through the abuse they went through, all sorts of things. However, this is the quote from the minister chaplain at, at Port Arthur at the time. 
A boy on his knees asking for pardoning mercy was a sight that many of them had never witnessed. Within a short time, these youthful convicts were found crying for mercy as they poured out their full hearts in floods of tears, refusing to be comforted until assured of God's forgiving love. When once enabled to trust in Christ for salvation, their joy was ecstatic. Of their own accord, they formed themselves into a class and at once commenced to help each other, meeting daily for prayer together. You've got this radical change. It's amazing. Their change of character was such that the testimony by future employers was everything that could be desired. You know, this was not just a flash in the pan and then they reverted back. This was an honest to God, if that's a good phrase, a real change of heart and character. Now, if anyone's interested, you're either history or Tasmanian revival history. I've got a folder here. Ooh. If anyone wants to borrow it, um, it's just full of all the bits I've collated from all the different testimonies of visitations, outpourings, revivals that have happened around Tasmania. So if anyone wants it, come and see. Hi, Chris. <laughs> that first one. <coughs> okay. That's that. Um, so there, there is revival and, and it's happened. Now, one of the things that I want to just warn us of is where God is moving, the enemy wants to bring counterfeit and he wants to bring deception and he wants to get Christians who are suddenly all fired up again, suddenly, slowly off track and subtly off track. And I came across one of these that popped up on my Facebook um, and I started reading it and I thought, oh, that sounds good. And then I read a bit longer, oh, that doesn't sound quite so good. And then by the end of it, I'm going, this is really wrong. And I'm going to show it to you. This is my summary of what the person was saying. Could we have the next slide, please, Will? Okay, so this is the summary. They said, God is love. Love is not easily offended. Therefore, God is not easily offended by our sin. Therefore, we do not need to ask forgiveness when we sin. Can you see the thinking? Can you see how subtle that is? If you don't know the gospel, you could believe that because it sounds good. And I, I sort of looked into this because I was going, that, how did they get to point four from point one? <laughs> you know. So I went into it a bit. Next slide, please. Well, I'm just going to give us a brief theology lesson. God is love, absolutely. That's agape love. Totally no problem with that at all. Point two, love is not easily offended. This is where the problem comes in. The word offended is not actually the Greek. The Greek says, is not easily provoked nor keeps accounts of wrongs. The word offended is only used in two versions of the Bible. The Passion Translation and the Revised English Version. Every other version that I could find uses the Greek. So this word offended is where the problem starts. To say God is not easily offended by our sin is actually wrong. God is offended by our sin. He is very upset about our sin. He is still a holy God. He is still a righteous God. He is still a just God. 
he is still a long-suffering God and a patient God and he will keep calling us and calling us back to himself. He'll call us to repentance. He'll, he will keep pointing out this is not the way to go. But he is still offended by our sin. He is not easily provoked because he is long-suffering, but he is provoked. There's a, there's a balance here that you have to look at. So then the fourth comment about we don't need to ask forgiveness when we sin is also wrong because it takes no account of the cross. What's the cross about? We just had communion. The cross is about our sin being dealt with by God. Jesus took our sin on the cross. That's right. And that cross stands forever. But every time we sin, we blow it. As humans, we do. We either sin bigly, <laughs> if you like that one. We know the lists of, of big sins in the Bible. Or we lose our temper. Or we get jealous. Or we, attitudes of the heart can be sinful too. And each of them, we need to go to the cross because God is still a holy God. And he still wants us to be in relationship with him. And sin breaks that relationship, any, any kind of sin. So when he points it out to you, go to the cross because that's where that sin is dealt with and ask for forgiveness. So you can see how with this, with this argument, it starts off good, ends up really wrong. <laughs> if you come across stuff, and there's a lot of it on on the internet that you start reading and it, it kind of, you get to the end of it and you go, oh, that's really wrong, but you can't figure out why. Come and ask somebody. Come and ask, you know, Bernie or any, any, of, the, any of us probably can work through something like this. It's just a matter of sitting down and, and working through each point and saying, well, where does this start to go wrong? So be aware that's only one issue, but there will be issues that come up when revival starts to happen. Uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament, Paul found that the Galatians had listened to some sneaky teaching and they'd gotten sidetracked from the truth. A group of Jewish Christians were teaching the Galatian Christians, who were Gentiles, that God had given circumcision as a sign of obedience to him. Fair enough, that's, that's totally true. And they were saying, so you're not Jewish, but if you want to be obedient to him, you should get circumcised. Well, hang on a minute. When Paul heard this, he was angry. I mean, he got really angry if you read the account. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I'll just read you a couple of the scriptures from Galatians. In Galatians 3.1, You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? That's a pretty strong term to talk to Christians with, isn't it? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law, which is circumcision, or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort, that is, circumcision? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you have heard? And then a bit later on in Galatians 5, he says, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? 
That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. So this kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you, even though it starts off sounding right. So be aware, just be aware of false, sneaky teachings that try to draw you away. And like I said, if you, if you read something and it just doesn't gel, go, go to someone and ask, why does this sound wrong? I know it's wrong, but I can't figure out how. Back to revival. That, that's about revival because it's about a warning, you know, of what can happen during revival when everyone's so excited. I want to talk for a second about the revival happening in the US that started in Kentucky uh, a couple of weeks ago, probably three, maybe four weeks ago now, in a university there. Christian University, they had to have the students, part of their conditions was you have to go to chapel three times a week. So you can imagine that this became um, a routine. You know, it didn't perhaps mean that much to some of the kids. But the Holy Spirit showed up. One day some of the students stayed back after the after chapel service and they started to pray. The Holy Spirit just started to pour himself out. And they stayed. And then other students started to hear that this was happening. So they all came and they stayed. And then more came and they stayed. And in the end, <laughs> in the end they had a lot of students in the chapel and not many in class, <laughs> where they should have been perhaps. <clears throat> um, and this grew and grew because they started to put it on social media. So people were coming from other towns, other states, even other countries to see what God was doing. And... Um, Eventually, after a couple of weeks, the university, the mayor and the police came to the university and said, we cannot handle this. Our town is 6,000 people. We've got tens of thousands of people coming in. The roads are blocked. The shops are empty. We've run out of portaloos. Big issue. There's... <laughs> There's nowhere for people to stay. You know, they're camping on the village green kind of thing and, and there's no toilet around where they are. What are we going to do? Now, the, the leaders of the uni actually got together and said, all right, Lord, what do we do? And then they heard that there were similar outpourings, outbreaks happening in other local churches and at other universities. And they realised that God was actually saying, it's okay, this work is spreading, you're not carrying this alone. And so they made the decision that in order to honour their students and honour God, they were going to just cut back on the 24-7 worship meetings that were happening um, and just go to two hours, I think, every afternoon for students only. So all the visitors all had to go somewhere else, which took the pressure off the uni and most of the town as well. And they said to people that had come, please go somewhere else. We, we're restricting this to our students, but we are live streaming it. So you can still be a part. You know, there, there are ways around this now, which is cool. Um, and the focus started to turn now, it is turning now to discipling the new Christians and discipling those who have come back to the Lord through this revival, through this outpouring. So it's, it's a really good next step for them to actually progress this a little bit further. Uh, if you're interested, there's a fair bit on the internet, but there's particularly a good in article on christianitytoday.com on the internet. 
um, that actually goes into how this was happening backstage. Um, how were they running 24-7 worship? How did they make sure worship teams weren't burnt out? How were they feeding people? How were they um, getting the portaloos in? How were they finding accommodation? How were they stewarding this move of God? And it's a really, really good article if you're interested. So, um, it, it, it's just interesting. I also read briefly, I haven't gone to really look at it but in the Philippines there's a revival breaking out and across the world you know there are things happening even here in Hobart um, Anthony Castro's church is starting to see healings again uh, River City South has had healings happening so there are things happening you know God's moving and I really want to be a part of it I want us to be a part of it that would be so cool so cool um, Part of, part of leading into some of this, Bernie had a few weeks ago, he, he brought out, he didn't bring out, he showed us a book called Great Southland Revival. And I think quite a few of us bought it, but there are three more, three more left on the table, stage. <clears throat> this is Tracing the Spirit's Flame from Acts to Australia. And it's really good because in this book they talk about some of the revivals that have happened across Australia. Even when Australia was founded, who the original um, chaplain slash minister was, he came out of... Oh, now I'm going to forget. <laughs> he came out of the revival that was happening in London. And he was a man on fire for God. So this is a really good book. Um, talk to Bernie if you wanted to get a copy, if you haven't got one yet. But as I read it, I really saw that prayer is a key feature to all of the revivals. And um, Inika has already mentioned the prayer meetings we have here. If we want revival, we need to pray. We need to be seeking God for it. You know, there was that that uh, revival in Westbury that I talked about and they said that only one prayer had been added to their already existing prayers. Lord, pour out your spirit on our neighbours. Pour out your spirit. Um, that's what we need to be praying. And this book actually is, is really good in, in encouraging us to do that and to see the fruit of it. Uh, I've got to admit, I used to pray that... Well, Yes, I still do. But I used to pray it far more fervently than I do at the moment. And I ended up getting to the point of, okay, well, it hasn't happened yet, God. Revival hasn't happened. This is going back 20 years or so. And so I wrote this little book, which I've got a couple of if anybody wants it. Can you hear the footsteps of God? And it's really about we've been praying and praying and seeking and seeking and it hasn't happened yet. What do we do now? How do we keep going when we're still waiting? You know, the waiting part, it can be really tough at times. And as I was, as I was writing it, as I was rereading it the other day, two things came out. One is prayer. <laughs> Here we go, prayer. Persisting in prayer, going back to prayer. The other one is worship. And worshipping God even when you can't see the answer. Worshipping God even in the tough times. Worshipping God even when you're tired and you've, you've cried everything you can cry and you've asked everything you can ask. You still worship because he is worthy. 
of worship, no matter what, no matter what. And it's interesting to me that that revival in Kentucky that was happening at the uni was worship-focused. It wasn't necessarily teaching-focused. They would have they would have people get up and share and teach, but they were, for lack of a better word, no-name teachers. They didn't get up and say, well, I'm Reverend so-and-so and I'm the pastor at this church here or whatever. They would just get up and say, my name's John, here's the word for the day, you know. And, uh, and I love that. I love that. There were no big names in it. But it was worship-focused, and that's a key part. And I think the worship this morning, where are you, Veronica? Where's she gone? Down that end. <laughs> that was so lovely, just to have the piano again. Ah, oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Yes, it makes such a difference, doesn't it? Um, one of the... Th- <laughs> One of the things that I mentioned in this, this is a pretty honest book actually, uh, we were praying for revival and often when we pray for revival we, we say, oh Lord, send revival, send revival. And God said to me one day, I don't send revival. And I went, what, what? <laughs> he said, I don't send revival, I come. And I'm like, ah, yes. Revival is not like sending out for pizza. You know, you ring up, you order pizza in half an hour, it's at your door. Revival's not like that. Revival, as I said at the beginning, is Jesus coming into the middle of us. It's an outpouring of God himself in our midst. So send revival. I changed my prayer. (laughs) I changed my prayer to, oh Lord, pour out your spirit. (laughs) Instead of send revival. It might be a semantics thing, but it was just something that God said to me that, um, you know, it's about him. It's about him. It's not about how we feel, what we want even necessarily. It's about him and him coming into our midst. Now the question is, what will we do when he comes? Are we ready? Um, Bernie has mentioned before, we have a guest speaker coming in April. I think it's the week after Easter Uh, Paul Richards, if you can see this. I've got a couple up here on the table. He's coming. He's an evangelist. Now, an evangelist loves bringing people to the Lord. That's their calling and their gifting. What are we going to do if Paul comes and we bring people and they get saved and we've suddenly got 10 new Christians in the house? What are we going to do if we get 100 new Christians in the house? going to have to put out more chairs to start with (laughs) that'll be cool but if a hundred people come or even 10 people come who is willing to hold a discipleship group who's willing to open up your house once a week and have people come in for coffee and a bible study who's willing to pick this up and run with it hey Tinica this is just a challenge you don't have to put your hand up it's okay it's to to pray into and to think about God what what's my part what's my part in this we have plenty I'm sure we have plenty of discipleship material if you've ever done an alpha course or a Billy Graham training course you've you know you know you've got the stuff in you to give to new Christians Um, new Christians can be very messy but very exciting. They're so excited. 
And they've probably got all sorts of wrong ideas about God that you have to kind of say, well, it's not quite like that. <laughs> and that's fun because you grow as well. I have one more slide to put up. Um, can we put the last slide up, please? Thank you. This is called the Engel Scale of Steps to Christ. Has anybody, some of us might not have seen this before. Um, it's actually a very, I hope you can see it, it's actually a very good way of describing the process of coming to Christ. I've heard it said that um, it can take someone 12 to 15 times of hearing the gospel before they actually accept it, before they accept Jesus. So this scale starts right down at the bottom with somebody who's got no awareness of God. Might be an atheist or ag agnostic. There are a lot of people in society today that have no awareness of God. We, we took someone, young fellow, to church once years ago for Christmas service. He was the boyfriend of one of my girls. He had never heard a Christmas carol. And that was probably 15 years ago. He'd never heard a Christmas carol, didn't know what they were. <laughs> I was staggered. I was absolutely staggered. But they don't play them on the radio anymore. Well, not that I know of. Um, and, you know, he had no awareness, no understanding. So you go up this scale from no awareness of God to some awareness, contact with Christians, interest in Jesus, investigating Jesus. This is where it starts to get interesting. They get some of the truth about Jesus and they start to understand what that means in their lives, what they would have to change, what God would change in them, how God will work in their lives. They um, get to about point nine. And they go, well, look, I understand all this. How do I become a Christian? And that's when God moves in. That's when the Holy Spirit will call them into the kingdom. And their decision to surrender to Jesus is that light orange one in the middle. And then from there they go on to gaining confidence. In the, and this is where we come in to help them gain confidence in their decision to experience change in their life to learn the basics of their faith, to learn Christian disciplines, to sharing their faith with others and then ongoing growth. So this key area of about number eight to number ten, these, coming back to Paul coming in a month or so, these are the people that we want to bring because they are close. They're close to um, becoming a Christian to making that decision and that might just be that little bit extra that Paul says that brings them in you could I mean God can get someone at number one with no awareness of God totally he can do a sovereign move and go bang you're mine like you know he can do that anytime anywhere and he often does but in terms of bringing people to come and hear Paul this is which is what I'm talking about now you're going to have more success, more, more likely to be successful, if you like, with people who are about number eight or nine, seven to nine, I'd say. And I would even look at that and go, who do I know? Who do I know that's at that place now? I know probably a few people at number one and two. I know a few that would be at number three. Who do I know at seven, eight, nine that I can bring on uh, when Paul comes with his meetings? It's a good thing to think about. And then as, as we walk people on through 11, 12 and onwards, our own faith grows. 
because we're answering their questions and we're getting into the word because we need to answer their questions. <laughs> so our faith is growing. Our spiritual growth is increasing. And that will lead us then on to sharing the gospel with other people. And so it goes. Um, I've lost my piece of paper now. I've got too many bits of paper. So start praying for the people that you can see at 7, 8 and 9 because they're the ones that you want to be inviting to Paul's meetings. And yes, going forward, as we disciple someone, our faith will grow. So it's exciting. It's exciting to have an evangelist come. Don and I know Paul fairly well. We, we were with him at YWAM in Melbourne for a couple of years. And he's just a little dynamo. He is so excited about God. He's so excited about God's love. <clears throat> and he will just, he's, he's great to listen to as well. He's quite funny. He's got some really amazing stories of what happens when he starts to preach. But um, he is well worth coming to and bring somebody, bring somebody. And who knows what God will do. You know, God might not wait until Paul gets here. God might suddenly go bang next week, now, this week. And Paul will walk into a revival that's already going. Wouldn't that be great? That would be amazing. We might, yeah, it would just be so good. Um, but let's just pray and, and come and join the church prayer meetings and come and, and start praying at home. And, you know, there's a prayer room upstairs here that's open every day if you want to come in and pray. Um, and maybe sometimes you might pray better when you're not in your home environment. That actually is quite common. I used to pray down at the dog walking beach at Kingston Beach. That was my prayer spot because I had little kids at home and, and I couldn't think about, you know, really getting into serious prayer when, um, when I had three little kids running around. So I'd walk the dog. I'd take them with me sometimes, but when they were at school was the better plan. But pray, 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 pray. And God can do and will do miracles if we ask him. Yeah, so let's just pray. Let's close in prayer because I've finished now. And we just want to, um, we want to thank you, Father. Thank you that you love us so much that you want to bring us back to our first love. Thank you that you want to pour out your spirit in this place, in Kingston. Lord, we ask that you pour your spirit out. Lord, we ask that you would just come and presence yourself. We long to see you. We long to hear you. Holy Spirit, come and be amongst us in a real, in a new way, in a fresh way. And Lord, as we, as we think about Paul Richards coming, Lord, we just ask that you would give us the names of people to start praying for, the names of people that you want to bring into the kingdom, the names of people who are ready and Lord, surprise us, surprise us, Lord, by, by bringing in people who we would never think would be ready. Lord, surprise us by saving those who are so far away from you that, they're, that, that they seem the most unlikely people. Lord, we're open to do whatever you want to do. Lord, we're open for you to have your way. Holy Spirit, just come and have your way. We ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.